The title of my message is Marriage, a Covenant of Selfless Works. Marriage, a Covenant of Selfless Works. And there are key words there that um, we need to look at and unpack when it comes to marriage. I've been married uh, this year, will be uh, in, in, in October, will be 22 years that I've been married. I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world. And we have, um, well, you know, that's my bias, so don't be jealous, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world, uh, the most supportive, the most incredible woman of God that you can ever find on the surface of the earth. And together we have four children. Amen. Put your hands together for my wife. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. Um, and, and marriage, as we're going to look at it today, is a covenant. Uh, but I think it's proper for us to, divide, to define terms. What, do we, what are we referring to as marriage? What is marriage? For us as Christians, marriage means one thing and one thing only. It is the union, a covenant, commitment, covenant, a uh, 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 relationship between a man and a woman. So marriage for us as Christians is how God defined marriage. Sometimes when we go out on the street uh, uh, or we have debates and, and talks with people uh, uh, who are following the new path, the way the world is going about, you know, 101 or 1,001 genders out there. And um, they, sometimes they tell us that, you know, marriage predates Christianity, that marriage, you know, has been in existence before Christianity came. And that's true. But what is, what is also true and even uh, more weighty in this, in this situation is that marriage, that the God of marriage, the God who started marriage, the God who initiated marriage, the God who established the institution of marriage is the God of Christianity. Can I have you say amen? And so Christianity only carries on what God has already said at the beginning. And it's amazing that everywhere we see marriage in the Bible, where principles are taught about marriage, it goes all the way back to that beginning in Genesis when God said it's not good for man to be alone, uh, but uh, that he will make a helper that is suitable for him. Uh, and Jesus also affirms that. So when you, when you see people also out there who says, well, Jesus never really said anything about homosexuality or marriage between a man and a, a man and a woman and a woman. Um, and, you know, Jesus never said anything about it. The truth of the matter is he didn't have to. Jesus didn't have to say anything about that because he already affirmed that marriage is as God intended it to be in the beginning. He said to them, uh, uh, you know, it, in the beginning it was not so. He was referring to that Genesis scripture where God said marriage is between a man and a woman. And so let's start by uh, reading, by me reading to you from this red book. This red book is what we use uh, here to do marriages. And um, I, my wife and I do a lot of premarital counseling. We do a lot of marriage counseling also. And a couple of... Um, I think about two or three years ago, the, God, the, the Lord began to speak to me about uh, doing a marriage seminar for couples who are, are married. And I thought in my heart that, you know, I've, I've, I've conducted a lot of uh, marriage ceremonies in this, in this sanctuary. So I thought, okay, what I'll do is call people together, people that have been part of their premarital counseling or people that have conducted their marriages and you know, invite them to come and partake of uh, the seminar. Uh, what I didn't know was at the same time, God was speaking to my wife about uh, marriage issues. And he, she came to me one day and said to me, you know, I observed by counseling women that a lot of women are married on paper. You know, yeah, there's a certificate that says you're married, but they are not living together with the husbands as if they are married. And so we began to pray in it, and then we started... Um, a seminar that we call Dominion. Uh, and it's a 10-month uh, seminar, um, once every month on a Saturday from, from 10 a.m. to about 4 p.m. And we 
meet with couples and, and help them. And to the glory of God, we've had testimonies, testimonies of people's marriages were very, very shaky when they came. In fact, there was a particular couple that they'd left KT and they've gone to another church because they moved, they bought a house far away from KT and uh, their marriage began to be very, very shaky. And through that, God restored their marriage. Not only that, God also brought them back to KT. Can I hear you say amen? Because they, they realized that they have not been feeding uh, their marriage and their relationship from the word of God that is being preached in this, in this, um, in this sanctuary. Okay, um, when we come, when uh, um, a couple comes forward to be married, um, the, the preacher, whoever is doing the marriage, uh, would do an invocation. And I want to read to you as a starting point uh, what we read to them. We say we are gathered together in the sight of God. Please note that it says in the sight of God. We are gathered together in the sight of God and in the presence of one another to join this man and woman in holy matrimony. And a couple of, I mean, I think earlier last year or two years ago, Pastor Colin was telling us that, you know, what the church is involved in, as we're talking in our primary 12 meeting with him, is holy matrimony. We're not just engaged in marriage, in joining two people together in marriage, but in holy matrimony. So that's very, very important to take note of. Presence of one another to join this man and woman in holy matrimony and to seek God's blessings and grace on their behalf. At this time, let us remember that marriage is more than a civil contract, a social convention, or a religious ceremony. It was ordained by God from the beginning as the sacrament of human society for the mutual fellowship, help, and comfort of husband and wife in prosperity and adversity, for the honorable procreation of children and for their training in love and obedience to the Lord. Marriage is declared by God to be honorable in all, so we must conclude that it must not be regarded in a light manner, but must be undertaken, undertaken and entered into in all solemnity with wisdom and forethought, reverently and in the fear of God. Into this holy bond, these two persons here present are now to be joined. Therefore, blah, 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 blah. If anybody has anything that why they should not be joined together, you know, speak up now. Now, I've read that because uh, in, in my, I, I've, been, I've been conducting marriage, marriage ceremonies in this sanctuary by the grace of God for almost 18 years. And I've noticed that when those couples are seated in this corner, right in front of the platform, you know, they are so engrossed in looking at one another. You know, uh, uh, um, uh, the man, especially, just can only think of honeymoon is about to start. Hallelujah. I've been waiting all these years. Now, you know, I've gone to the registry. Now I'm being pronounced husband and wife. They can only think about honeymoon. Meanwhile, the wife-to-be, the bride, she's thinking, look at all this crowd. Goodness, how are we going to feed them at the reception? You know, so, that, so they, they're not really looking uh, 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 to hear the message that the preacher is preaching. They are engrossed in so many things. They are concerned about so many things and so on. So I have learned to preach to the, to the people that have come to uh, 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 celebrate them and celebrate with them until I intend to speak directly to them. So I come in front of them, and I made them look at me, and I say things directly to them that I want to say, so that they could, they, they can listen, that they can listen. And then they must have gone through some premarital counseling. And when I do premarital counseling, uh, and I start with the preliminaries, checking out if they're born again, or they're not born again, leading them to Christ, if that's what is needed, and so on and so forth. The second session, I bring out this book, and I make them read it. Or I read it to them. And I ask them questions. Do you understand what you are about to step into? And you might be asking me, why is that necessary? Of course it is necessary. From what I've just read, it is not a social contract. It's not even an ordinary religious ceremony. It is something that God is witnessing to, as we're going to see in Scripture. They've come before God and man 
to take a vow, to cut a covenant, to make a covenant together. And a covenant is the strongest kind of commitment and agreement that you can ever have. And this is not just a, 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 a kind of cultic covenant. This is a divine covenant based on biblical marriage. It is a divine covenant. And so there are four key words I want us to pay attention to. Number one, marriage. What is marriage? Marriage is as the Bible defines it. According to God in Genesis chapter 2, it is between a man and a woman. It is monogamous. It is commitment and covenant. Those are the basic elements of a Christian marriage. Monogamous, based on commitment to one another until death do us part, and sealed by covenant. Hallelujah. Now, this covenant that we're talking about, marriage, a covenant of self, selfless work. So that's marriage, that's covenant, there's selflessness, and there's works. Those are the four things I want to try as much as possible within the time that I have to touch on because they are, very, they are, they are, they are key to making a marriage work. First, understand what marriage is. It's as God defined it and as affirmed in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. Okay, so God said in Genesis this is what marriage is. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two of them shall become one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. That was what God said. Now today, we have things like a divorce of no fault. Where couples go to the court or to, to their lawyers and, and they say, well, we are, we are divorcing on, a, on the point of no fault. Which means, let's just sign the papers. You know, let's just sign the papers and divorce. Uh, I, I don't have time and I don't have the money to fight you in the law court. So we're going to go for a divorce that is called no fault divorce. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. Excuse me? <laughs> then why are you breaking up? Why are you divorcing? Of course, it is the fault of somebody or it's the fault of the two of you. Somebody might have 90% of the fault and somebody might have 10% of the fault and the 10% of the fault might outweigh the 90% of the fault. So a no-fault divorce is a cop-out. It's a cop-out. And please, let me just say this ahead of time. Please, if your marriage is going through challenges... Please understand that the God that you serve, if you are a born-again child of God, is the one who said to Jeremiah, I'm the God of all flesh. Is there anything too difficult for me? There's nothing too difficult that God cannot do. There's no problem, no challenge in your marriage that God cannot fix. If, and that's a big if, if you give him the opportunity to step in. That's one of the reasons why we, we, we say to Christians, please, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever because it's not going to work. It's not going to work because your values are different. Your, your beliefs are different. There are so many women in the household of God, so many men in the household of God, pray and God will give you yours. Because it is difficult when your marriage is going through challenges and you come to a marriage counselor, a Christian marriage counselor, and he wants to counsel you from the book, from the good word, from the good book, from the Bible, from the Holy Scriptures. And one particular partner in the relationship says, well, I don't believe in that. There's no basis. There's no basis. If the two of you don't believe, if, the two, if one partner does not believe in this, then there's no basis. In fact, Paul said, I think to the Corinthians, that if, you, if both of you are unbelievers and you get saved, and then and one person gets saved, and the unbeliever person wants to leave, is free to leave. 
But if the unbelieving partner wants to stay, then they're free to stay in the marriage. It is that important to God. Now, so marriage, I have written here, is a divine legal relationship. Not a contract. Not a social ceremony. Marriage is not what happens on the wedding day. Marriage is what happens after the wedding day. Years after the wedding day. It's a divine legal relationship between a man and a woman that binds them together for life until death separates them. It is established by God, witnessed by God, and ratified by Christ. And so if there's going to be a divorce, then divorce had to be ratified by Christ. It had to be decreed by God. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, you that you're watching me or hearing my voice, I know that might be very, very difficult for you uh, to take in. But that's what the scripture says. What God has joined together, let no one put asunder. In fact, when Jesus spoke to the disciples about marriage, they said to, to him, please increase our faith. If this is the lot of the man, then it's not good to be married. And Jesus had to say to them, yeah, I know. Oh, the people that can take this in are people who are, it's been given to. It's been given to. And so understanding what marriage is before you step into it or understanding it now that you're in it is very, very important. So covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is the strongest kind of commitment you can make to a person. And there are three or four basic things that happens in a covenant. Number one, something has to die. There's a sacrifice involved. Number two, there is blood. Of course, when you slaughter an animal, you know, the blood comes out. Number three, there must be a sign that you've made covenant together. And number four, there's usually a feast involved. Now, a covenant can have all these elements, four elements within them, or one, one or two of them. So when God wanted to make a covenant with Abraham, it involved sacrificing some animals and some birds. And it involves shedding their blood. And then there was a sign of that covenant, which God came and ratified by giving Abraham the covenant sign of circumcision. So there was that covenant that God made with him uh, by bringing the animals, sacrificing the animals. And then there's the covenant of, there's the, there's the sign of that covenant uh, of which is circumcision. And that's the sign. In, in modern marriage today, uh, we, we, we exchange rings as tokens, as signs of the, of the covenant. Sometimes in the Old Testament, they heap up, you know, stones like between Jacob and Laban. Jacob and Laban made a covenant and said, well, I'm not going to cross over this, this uh, heap of stones to come and attack you. And you're not going to come uh, cross over to come and attack me. Or Abraham and Abimelech. There was a feast. Abraham said, well, in order to show that, you know, let's make a covenant. Abimelech came and said, let's make a covenant together. And also Abraham brought some animals and said, okay, let's set these ones aside. It's a sign of the covenant and I have paid you for the wells I dug. So there are elements involved. In fact, in cultic, in cultic covenants, uh, uh, occultic people, they would cut their hands somewhere, either their wrist or their finger. They would get a, a cup, a goblet of wine. Very, very hot wine, very, not, not hot as in temperature, but, you know, uh, alcoholic kind of beverage. And the two people coming into covenant relationship will slash their hands and allow their blood to drip into the, into the cup. And then the second person will do the same thing. They will mix it together and they will drink it. The first party will drink it. The second party will drink it. And then that means that they become blood brothers. And covenants are so serious that even when the Gibeonites came to deceive Joshua, you know, God said to Joshua, every nation around you that are very close to you, destroy them because they will drag you into idolatry. 
But the Gibeonites came and deceived Joshua. They came with moldy bread. They came with tattered clothing. They put dust on themselves. They came into the camp of Israel. They met with the leaders of Israel and said, we are people from a far country. We have come to make a covenant with you. And the covenant is that we will support you and you will protect us. And without asking God, Joshua and the elders of Israel, they made a covenant with the Gibeonites. Only to discover later on, they were very close to them. And so when the nations around heard that the Gibeonites had come to make a covenant with, uh, with Joshua and the Israelites, they wanted to attack them. Guess what the Gibeonites said? They sent a message to Joshua and said, Joshua, come and protect us. We are in covenant with you. And Joshua couldn't refuse. Joshua could not refuse because they have a covenant. Why? Covenant is something that is, 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 is made or caught and asking God to come and be a witness to it. When you, when you, because covenant is always based on relationship. Covenant must be based on relationship. When you sign a contract in your workplace, you know, with your employer, you don't really have to, you don't have to necessarily have a relationship with your employer. No, you don't. You just go and do your job, you get your pay, you go home. When you don't like the contract anymore, you resign. Or when they don't like you anymore, they sack you. And you go home. But when it's a covenant, there must be a relationship. The covenant God made with Abraham was the beginning of their relationship. God made a Chaldean covenant with Abraham and came to his level because that's the only way Abraham could understand what it means, what the kind of covenant God wanted to make with him. That Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you, but I'm the only one, I'm the one that is going to guarantee this covenant, and I'm the one that is going to make it come to pass. And so covenant involves sacrifice. In marriage covenant, you also have to make a sacrifice. So when you are a, sprint, a spinster, I remember a story, a funny story my brother told me a long time ago. One of his friends got married and, you know, he had a group of friends that they spent weekends together. You know, they would go to one person's house and spend the whole weekend together. And this gentleman just got married and, you know, his wife was pregnant. And uh, one evening, his friends called him three months into his marriage. His friends called him and said, look, we haven't seen you for a long time. Just come, come and spend the evening with us and then you can go home, you know, to your wife. And he went to see his friends and they started talking and drinking and partying and eating together. And he got too late and said, oh, don't worry, guys, I'll go home tomorrow. And the wife panicked and called the whole family. I can't find my husband didn't come home last night. Where's my husband? Meanwhile, his husband was still sleeping in a friend's house. And by the time he came back late afternoon, he saw a lot of people in his house. His father was there. His mother was there. The in-laws were there. You know, uncles were there, you know, trying to console the wife. Don't, don't worry. He will show up. And then he comes in and he thinks, what's happening? Why is everybody in my house? Where's my wife? What happened to my wife? And every, where are you coming from? Oh, uh, I went to so-and-so's house and we just talked into the night. And no, you can't do that anymore. You are dead to that kind of thing. Without your wife's permission, you cannot. You cannot. So you die to your independence. That's my point. But you are set free to relate with somebody, spirit, soul, and, and body. You find your helpmate, and she, that person, that man, that woman becomes the priority for you. And so there are people who go into marriage relationships and you still think you can keep your individuality, you can keep this, you can keep that. No, I'm sorry. The two has become one. You are not in bondage. In fact, you are in freedom to enjoy that which God said in Genesis, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. But that freedom also limits what you can do and what you cannot do. So you cannot say, because I'm under grace, I have freedom, therefore I have a wife at home, and therefore I'm going to go to another woman. I'm going to go to another man. No, you are breaking covenant. And God has serious words for people who break covenant. God did not mince words at all. That's why we have to understand the importance of covenant in marriage. A lot of challenges that are going on in marriages today is because either the couples have forgotten what covenant means in the sight of God. Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. 
Please go with me in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. If we decide that we're going to go back to scriptures according to, uh, uh, as we run our marriages and walk our marriages, then even when problems come, we will, we will overcome them. But if we want to pattern our marriages according to uh, uh, um, uh, the, the, the feelings and the emotions of Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, well, where are they today? No, you cannot run your Christian marriage, you know, according to the gospel coming from Hollywood. It's not going to work. Or the gospel coming from Emmerdale or, or EastEnders or social media. I know of couples who are posting so many pictures on social media about God, and their marriage, the marriage relationship is in tatters. Go and work on your marriage before you work on your social media profile. Just that a thousand people or two hundred thousand people are following you on social media, just not, the, and you're posting pictures does not make, make make you you know successful in your marriage. Focus on the marriage. Malachi chapter two. Uh, let's read from verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? This is the reason. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she's your companion and your wife by covenant. God says when you marry, you marry by covenant. And God is saying to the nation of Judah here that God is not accepting your offering because you are not dealing with your wife by covenant. You are dealing with your wife treacherously. You are dealing with your wife deceitfully. And therefore God says, your worship, I cannot receive. Your prayers, I cannot receive. I mean, I didn't put that there in case you think this preacher, you know, what is he saying? That's the word of God. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter, chapter uh, 2, verse 17. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17. That's for the men. Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. I will read one verse, just verse 17. It says... For who forsakes the companion of her youth? This is to you, the woman of God, a Christian woman. For who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God? As a woman, when you step outside of your marriage, when you commit adultery, you have broken the covenant you made with the man before God. So as it applies to the man, in Malachi, it applies to the woman from Proverbs. It's not just the man that is in a covenant relationship, it's also the woman that's in a covenant relationship. And you might say to me, well, you know, we're under grace now, we're not under law. Well, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Is that not Old Testament? Why are you picking all your scriptures from Old Testament? Well, let's look at what the New Testament says. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 7, husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as 
and has been held together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Why is God so strong in his word about this? Because it's a covenant commitment. It's a covenant relationship. We are in a world now where anything goes. Where anything goes. I, I, I was handling a situation recently where um, the wife was taking pictures of her naked body and sending it to another man and was even discussing with the man how, the, how she was going to take her husband's property and, you know, how they were going to raise the two children from the two families. The man is going to take the children from the other woman and she's going to take the children from this woman. And, you know, and the, the horrible thing about this was that she was meant to be a Christian. And the husband was a Muslim. And I've been trying to reach the husband with the gospel. And that broke everything down because I couldn't face the young man and say, you know, because he, he, he asked me two questions. Is this how it works in Christianity? And I said, no. And then he asked another question. If this is your wife, what will you do? And I had to talk to him about forgiveness, about the blood of Jesus Christ, about mercy and about how love, you know, is the greatest, how love conquers all. But he wasn't ready to listen. And he, he, he pointed at me and said, what does the Bible say when this kind of thing happens? Obviously, he's done his research. And I said, yes, Jesus Christ did say there could be a case for divorce when there's infidelity in the marriage. And he said, there you go, pastor. So why are you talking to me? Jesus Christ said that. Covenant, according to God, is a very, very strong commitment issue. It is not an advice. It's not a suggestion. It is how God wants it to be. And that's why God will challenge Israel in the Old Testament and say, come and give me your bill of divorce. Israel, I'm in a loving relationship with you. I am your husband. If I picked you up on the street from the dust when your mother gave birth to you, I cleaned you from your blood. I betrothed you to myself. And now you are going after, warring after other men when I have a covenant relationship with you. God was, this, you know, was, was, was teaching us through the nation of Israel that his relationship with us is a covenant relationship and that there's no reason to break that covenant relationship. And Jesus says the same thing in the New Testament. Affirms what God said in the Old Testament. Now, I've said all that to bring you to this point to let you know that for you as a Christian, divorce is not an option. Divorce is not an option just because it's common in our days. Just because it's easy to say no fault divorce. Let's just go our separate ways. Does not mean that God sanctions it. Just doesn't mean that God sanctions it. Yes, there are, there are grants for divorce. And Jesus tells us one, infidelity. There's no other ground that I can see in the Bible. You say, what about abuse? Yes. For a season, you can step out. You can say, okay, you know, this emotional, physical abuse is something I'm not ready to, to cope with. So let's just go find help. Ladies, please, I'm begging you. When your husband says, I don't want you to go and tell my business to everybody, that's when you should go and tell the business to everybody because he's telling you he's not ready to change. I'm not ready to change. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm not ready to change. I know I'm watching pornography. I know I'm sleeping with, 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 with prostitutes. I know I'm doing things that is destroying this relationship, but don't go and tell our business to other people. He's not ready to change yet. Go find help. If it's not good, okay, let's go and sit down with our leaders in the church and get counseling. No, I'm not going for any kind of counseling. In that situation, if there's abuse, whether physical, emotional, or otherwise, it is right for you to say, okay, I think we should separate for a while until we sort this out. Not, not to separate to divorce. And you don't just say, we separate, and then 
We are going to, we're going to, you know, then we find ourselves separating and then going far apart. No, no, no. You run for help. Help me with my marriage. Help me with my marriage. Help me. These things are not going on. Because at the end of the day, when that marriage becomes close, when that marriage becomes strong again, when the benefits of having a good relationship comes together again, the man will thank you or the woman will thank you for seeking help. We have the body of Christ. We have our leaders. We have pastors and counselors in the church so that our, the Christian marriage will not result into divorce. The help is there. And please let me say one thing to you. There's nothing unique about the troubles that you are going through in your marriage. It is not unique to you. I've been counseling for over 15 years now. And I've come to the conclusion there's nothing unique in your marriage that has not happened to people and that is not happening to people. So don't say, oh, my case is, you know, you know, it's a bit of a wonky case, you know, nobody. No, 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 no. No. And please understand, you are better off coming to the church leaders for them to help you with your marriage than going to sit on the couch of an ungodly person who, you know, he says, okay, talk. Oh, my husband is not doing this. Oh, why do you think your husband is not doing that? Oh, I think my husband is not doing that. How, why do you feel like that? You know, and then say, oh, sorry, your 30 minutes is over now. Next session, come. No, you need leaders and pastors and godly men and women to sit the two of you down and say, okay, let, what does the Bible say about this situation? What does the Bible say? And that's why we say, you know, I, I, when I do premarital counseling, I, I say to the, to the couple, you know, because they are, they are in love, they, they want to get, in fact, most of the time they set their marriage date before they come for premarital counseling. And that's a, a bit challenging sometimes, you know, and we have to press them, you know, and push them to make changes in their lives before they can get married. And if those changes are not done properly, you know, then there's a struggle. Please let me say to you, I'm standing in front of you today preaching and teaching about marriage, not because I have a perfect marriage, because there's no such thing. Not because I don't have challenges with my wife and in my marriage. No. But I can tell you, I have a strong marriage. That's all I can tell you. I have a strong marriage. And the first principle of a strong marriage is a marriage where the, the couples come together and tell themselves divorce is no option. Why? Because God says in Malachi chapter 2 that we've read, I hate divorce. He didn't say, oh, I kind of dislike divorce, but it's all right. No, no, he said, God, he said, I hate divorce. I hate divorce. And there are so many things that lead to marriage breakdowns. Number one is not knowing how to communicate with one another. I say to couples, I say to them, there are three things that must be present in your marriage, whether you feel like it or not. The first thing is, I love you. Even if you've just quarreled, you just quarreled with your wife or your husband. You're about to go to work. Open the door before you leave the bedroom. Or maybe she's in the kitchen or somewhere or he's in the bathroom or somewhere. Open the door and say, hey, naughty head, I love you. But we're not done with this. Number two, I'm sorry. There are a lot of marriages that will have been saved if that person just said, I am sorry. The third thing is, forgive me. And the opposite of that, I forgive you. Why? Because you have received forgiveness from Christ. There's no forgiveness that you can give somebody than the one that Jesus gave you. That he who knew no sin became sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Jesus forgave you. So there's nothing your wife or your husband can do to you that you cannot forgive. Even in the case of adultery, you can forgive. I said to somebody recently who was going through challenges uh, in his marriage and said, do you know, the Bible says that he who is forgiven much also loves much. The reason why we love Jesus Christ with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind is because we know we have been forgiven much. 
And where there is problem in in a marriage and the couple decides to forgive one another and forgive much, then 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, that big chapter of love kicks in. Love conquers all. And I'm not talking about, you know, feelings of love. Emotional love. No, marriage is not about feelings or about emotions. Love is not about feelings or about emotions. But it produces emotions and feelings. Primarily, love is a command in the Bible. And therefore, love is a decision. Just like marriage is a decision. That is why when couples come in front of the sanctuary and the, and the, and the pastor stands in front of them, he doesn't say, uh, do you, will, you, will you marry this person before you love them? Because you love them. No, he says, will you or do you so and so take this person to be your lawful wedded wife or your lawful wedded husband to have and to hold for richer, for poorer, till death do you part. You don't say, oh, I love him or I love her. No, you say, I do. Or I will. It's a decision. You are making a decision that this person is the person I have chosen to live with for the rest of my life. Sunshine, rain time, winter time, when things are good, when things are bad, when we are laughing, when we are crying. This is the person I have chosen to spend the rest of my life with. I have made a conscious decision. That's why I read to you from this book, from this red book, which says you cannot go into marriage unadvisedly. You must go to, into marriage thoughtfully, notwithstanding how much you feel your feelings are, your emotions are. There's a part of you that is a rational, logical human being and you're looking at this person and you're saying, is this the right person? And people talk about chemistry. Love. Chemistry. And feelings. But let me ask you, that man you want to marry, that woman you want to marry or the one you've married, do they really love God before you say you love them? Is there a chemistry between them and Jesus before you allow there to be a chemistry between you and them? Because when you get into that relationship, you're going to wake up one morning and look at the woman or look at the man and say, he's unlovable right now. His attitude, his character, or her attitude and character makes her unlovable. But yet you still have to love because love is a command and love is a decision. When you wake up that morning and nothing is working, the finances are low, uh, and there's no job, and, you know, the children are crying, and everything is going back, you don't say, well, this is going to work because of the chemistry between us. No, the only thing that is going to sustain you is the chemistry that you both have with Jesus. So before you talk to me about, oh, we have this chemistry, no, 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 no. Let's discover, do you both have a chemistry with Jesus? Because if the chemistry between Jesus is not there, when the challenges of life come, and they do come in marriage, they do come, the pressures of life come, that chemistry is not going to sustain you. That feeling is not going to sustain you. It is your relationship with Jesus that will carry you through. Your submission to the word of God. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, be filled and keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he said, that is when you can sing to one another in hymns, in psalms, in spiritual songs. And then he goes on to say, then you, can, you, are, you, are, you are to submit to one another. So marriage requires, a, a marriage that is going to walk requires that we submit one to another. I remember before I married my wife, I was in a department uh, back home in Nigeria, in our church. I was in a department called um, Visitation Department. And guess who was the leader of that department? My wife. And I had to submit to her as the head of the department. And she tells me where to go, who to visit. We were not married then, okay? We were not married then. 
But I had to submit to her authority. So that's submitting one to another. And I'm older than her, but it has nothing to do with age or qualification. She was the one that was placed over that department and we all submitted to her authority in that department. So in marriage, there's a mutual submission to one another. You've got to know that. So men, if you are a man and you are always telling your wife that, you know, you need to submit to me. The Bible commands you to submit to me. There's something wrong with your spiritual life. It might mean that you are not submitted to the authority of Christ. Please let me speak to you men. Understand that your authority over your home, your headship, because the Bible says that the man is the head of the family. Your headship is because it's from Jesus. It's a spiritual headship. Has nothing to do with your tradition, your culture, the amount of money you have in your bank account, your muscles, or any other thing, but your submission to Christ. That's where you draw the nutrients for your spiritual authority from. Why say, why am I saying that? Because you may lose your job tomorrow. You may lose all your finances tomorrow. You may be bound in a wheelchair tomorrow. So those muscles are not functioning. Then where, have you lost your authority over your home? Because if that's where you take your authority from, then when those things are gone, you have no authority. But if your authority is from Christ, if your wife can take a look at you and say, my husband is a godly man. My husband is a man of God. If your, if, your, if your husband can take a look at you and say, my wife is a godly woman. My wife is a woman of God. That is fantastic. And when your children can learn godly things from you, bring them up in the way of the Lord because when they grow up, they will not depart from it. That is fantastic. Now let me give you three things that are very important in marriage that we see from scripture. Number one, fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Be fruitful and multiply all throughout scriptures. So children, the heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is his reward. Number two, there's intimacy, sexual intimacy between married couples. So my dear sister, you can't be having headache every night. Oh, I have a headache. I have a headache. Just because he hasn't, you know, the man has not bought you that car or that jewelry. You know, you can't be having headache all night. In fact, Paul says, the only time you can deny each other is when you, come, you agree together that you want to fast and pray and seek God's face, you know. And then he said, it must be for a short while. And immediately you finish your service to God, your fasting and praying. Come together again on your matrimonial bed so that you are not tempted. The Bible is a practical book, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just a spiritual book. It's a practical book for living, and it's also a legal document. A legal document. So when God says in Malachi, I'm a witness against you, where do you produce, produce witnesses? You produce witnesses in the court. God says, I am going to, I'm witness that you've made a covenant with this man. You've made a covenant with this woman. And you cannot break that covenant. You can't go after other women because, or another man, because I'm going to be a witness against you. We must take this thing seriously. And so, number one, procreation of children. Number two, sexual intimacy. And number three, companionship. But I want to say to you, the most important part of those three, the most important point out of those three is companionship. I will make a companion for him. I will make a help, a helper that is suitable for him. Why did I say that? Because there's going to come a time when the children will, flow, will, will fly out of the nest. You know, when you become an empty nester. And all you are fighting for all the time is just bring me my grandchildren. Oh, are you bringing my grandchildren? No, can I see my grandchildren? You become an empty nester. And so if children... In some cultures, children are the most important thing. If a wife doesn't give a husband a child, even when all the fault is on the man's side, maybe he's got a, a weak, a weak uh, semen or something is wrong with him, all the blame is heaped on the woman. The family will come and say, yeah, you know, where is that man you, is in your house? Which man? Say, that man you married. Just because the woman has not been able to conceive, then the family begins to put pressure and call the woman a man. It is ungodly and wicked. Because children come from God. He's the one that gives 10 children to a prostitute and denies a godly married man a child. 
Don't put the blame on the woman. So you become an empty nester. Then there comes a time in our lives when we are old, when sexual intimacy is no longer there. What do you do? Do you divorce at that point? Do you divorce when your children leave the house and they've gone to start their own families and you become an empty nester? So the only thing you are left with is companionship. It doesn't end. And so if your marriage is, is not working, that's the third thing. I said marriage, you know, is a, is a, a, a covenant of works. Nothing works, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing works. Absolutely nothing works. If you see anything that is working, it's because somebody is working it. And so your marriage needs work. Your marriage needs renewal. Your marriage, go on a holiday with your wife. Get a babysitter for your children. You don't have to fly to Paris or, or Hawaii or Honolulu. Go to Brighton. Go, 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 go spend some time together uh, with your wife or your husband. Talk about deep things. Renew your relationship. Laugh together. Eat together. Without the children, you know, by, you know being around. And it doesn't, have to have to, it doesn't have to be five months or five weeks. No, it could be just three nights. Three good nights of dating. Where you agree, we're not going to talk about anything apart from us. Where is our marriage going? What, what's, our, what's our plan for the future? In the next 10 years, where do we see ourselves? The things that you normally would not be able to speak about at home. You know, write some, some plans down. Some goals for your family. You know? As a husband, are you interested in the development of your wife? Since you married her, what achievements are, are there in her life? Did she marry, marry you with a GCSE and that's all she's got? Have you encouraged her to go to uni? Have you encouraged her to do some developmental course? Have you, what have you encouraged her to do? Or is it just because you are the man, it's just about you. You are here to support my career, support my life, support everything I do, be a slave to my family, you know, and just be happy because you are married to me. No, I'm sorry I disagree with you. I disagree with you. And finally, I want you to understand that as a child of God, reminds me of the story Pastor Colin told us uh, years ago that he was traveling through Europe and he came to an airport and he was looking at a man uh, uh, at the border post and his heart warmed up towards that man. And he, he thought, I know this man from somewhere. I know I know this man from somewhere. And then the Holy Spirit said to him, no, you don't know him from anywhere. He's your brother in Christ. And so he, when he got there, he said, he looked at the man and said, you are my brother. Well, what do you mean? Yeah, you're my brother. Are you not a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Then you're my brother. How did you know that? The Holy Spirit just told me. When you take a look at the man you are married to, and you look at the woman you are married to, do you see Christ in them? The hope of glory. Do you take a look at your wife and say, the God of the universe is in the life of this person? So I better be careful the way I talk to this person. I better be careful the way I behave towards this person. I better be careful that what I'm going to do with this person does not break covenant. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Who is that great one? The, the powerful, divine Holy Spirit. If Pastor Colin could see in the life of that man that he's a brother in Christ, can you see Christ in your wife? Can you see Christ in your husband? And if that is true, then husbands, you can love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And then wives, you can submit to a man that loves you as Christ loved the church. I cannot finish by without mentioning this. We have an extreme, an extreme kind of feminism, you know, that is working in uh, uh, globally now, that is working globally. I'm talking about extreme feminism. It's good to, to rejoice that you are a woman, that you are, you are feminine. But this extreme kind of feminism, and that is one of the reasons why I was a strong opposer in the church, within the church of Black Lives Matters. 
Not just because all life matters, and not just because black life does not matter, but because the three women that founded that movement of Black Lives Matters, when you read the agenda they put on their own website, it's about destroying manhood. They wrote it, they've pulled it down. I'm told that they've pulled it down. And, it's, and, a, and, a, and a fountain cannot but produce sweet and sour water. That's what my Bible says. If the sauce is bitter, the water is going to be bitter. It might be, it might be, there may be a shroud or a cloud covering it, but when you dig deep down and the begin and you sign up for it, you join them, you give them your money, you give them your time, you make speeches for them. I'm talking to you as a Christian. When they bring their agenda out, you've, you've overcommitted yourself. And you might not even be able to back up anymore because then they will look at you and call you a hypocrite. So before you sign up for anything that is not relating to the word of God, no matter how popular it is, whether it's the work culture or the Black Lives Matter culture or whatever, ask yourself, will Jesus commend me if I sign up for this? What does the Bible have to say about what I'm signing up for? Their agenda was to destroy the arrangement of God. Yes, our society is patriarchal. We, are, we can't run away from that as Christians. That's the way God wanted it to be. And that's the way it is. That's the way it's going to be. The man is the head of the home. Why? So that he can teach his household to follow God. And you know, the funny thing is that the Bible says that a woman is supposed to build the home. A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish one tears it down. So the woman is supposed to build the home. What is the man supposed to do? The man is to govern the home. Because the Bible says that to be a deacon in the church or to be a bishop, you have to be the husband of one wife, not given to wine, not gossip, and also able to rule over your own home. So when you read the Bible as an entire entity, you discover that our, 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 our relationship in marriage, is been, is, God has already defined it for us. The day-to-day -day running of the home, the, the mini, the, those things are, are for women. They are better at doing it. That's why a woman can be, can be making a baby's milk and talking to her friend on the phone and, 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 and shutting the, the, the refrigerator with her feet, you know, and doing things together. For us as men, we can't. In fact, somebody described, you know, the brain of a woman as a spaghetti. Everything, you know, you know when you, when you mix spaghetti together, everything touches each other. But that the brain of a man is like, a, is like the, the, the top of a waffle, you know, the waf, waf, uh, wafers, they are in boxes. I would think in boxes as men. That's why when women, when <laughs> wives, when you talk to your husbands, please understand, when you talk to your husband and say, so what are you thinking? And he says nothing. It's because he's, he's in the thinking box where there's nothing. He's not trying to run away from conversation. There's nothing. There are some times that we're just sitting down there and there's nothing. And then you say, oh, how can you say there's nothing? When you begin to press like that, then we have to jump into the other box in the brain and, you know, quickly pull something out from that box. But for you, everything is connected. So, I hope I won't, I hope I'll get, I'll get a dinner at home tonight. So, <laughs> I get home tonight, and my wife is going to say, um, how's, it was Pastor Colin there? Yes. What about Pastor Amanda? Yes. How are they? They're fine. What do you mean by fine? I mean they're fine. I saw them, they're fine. Well, what, what is fine? Did you ask them if they're fine? No. So how can you say they are fine? Well, I think they are fine. I saw them sitting together, laughing together, and talking together. Okay. So what was Pastor Colin wearing? Uh, a suit? What was the color? Uh, I think it's black, you think, or you know. You know. That is women. Women, are, they, 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 they know details. God has wired them that way. But for us as men, we, are, we can focus on one thing at a time. Very few men are gifted in being able to multitask when it comes to conversation. But you women are endowed with that. That's why when a woman, when a man sows a seed in a woman, 
He just, the woman doesn't just give you back the seed. She gives you back a baby. Give a woman something in her hand to do and she multiplies it for you. So before you, you, know, you talk to me and tell me that my wife is after my life, what have you sown in her? Your wife is a good soil. If you sow good seeds in your wife, your wife will give you back a vine. If you give her an oak seed, your wife will give you uh, 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 an acorn, your wife will give you back an oak tree. And that's what we're supposed to do in governing our homes as men. We are to lead them towards God. 